today's scripture reading is taken from Romans 16 verses 1 to 5, 17 to 20, and 25 to 27. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at St. Crea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who, who ask their necks for my life, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise and as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks for reading scripture. Got through the long list of names. <laughs> uh, let me, let's, pray for, let's pray together as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed that you are God who is faithful. As we've just sung, you have gathered us by your mercy. So, Father, we pray that as we come together, we pray that you would work in our hearts by your word, work in our hearts by your spirit, make us attentive to what you have to say. And, Father, we pray that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, so that we would live lives together that bring you glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some of you may know what a DTR is. Uh, if, if you're dating, maybe you know what a DTR is, maybe you've just done one or you're about to do one. Uh, a DTR is uh, define the relationship, right? And, you know, if, if, you're, if you're dating, sometimes a key moment in your relationship is when you have a, a DTR, you know, a define the relationship conversation. You know, this is when you clarify the purpose and direction of your relationship, you know, uh, the a man and a woman will sit together and ask questions like, you know, why are we together? <laughs> you know, what are we together for? And you know, women especially want to ask the man, you know, where are we headed? <laughs> it's a very common question to ask. 
You know, I'm not sure if you realize this, but over the, over the past year, we've done a DTR of sorts as a church. You know, the, the theme, Grace Together, helps us to define you know, why are we together as Grace Baptist Church. It helps us to understand what, what is the nature of our relationship as the people of God. And when we talk about Grace Together, I think what we mean by that is that we life together, our relationships are defined by God's grace right? through His gospel. And therefore, we've been working through the letter of Paul to the Romans this past year to better understand what it means to be graced together. The gospel is the main message of this epistle that we've been looking at. And we've come to the end. Today is the last sermon in the book of Romans. And congratulations, we've made it through the book of Romans over the past uh, almost 11 months. It's been good to kind of walk through the whole book together. So here's a very quick recap before we dive into the text for today. So what have we seen about the gospel so far in the book of Romans? Uh, in chapters 1 to 3, we hear about why we need the gospel. In the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4, we, uh, Paul explains, you know, this, this is the gospel, right? What is the gospel? This is it. Three and, chapters 3 and 4. Then in uh, Paul talks about how the gospel gives us hope. Right? This is how we uh, have hope in God through the gospel, chapters 5 and 8. Chapters 5 to 8. And then chapters 9 to 11 talks about how the gospel shows God's faithfulness and wisdom in his saving plan. And most recently, we've seen chapters 12 to 15, uh, how the gospel transforms the way we live and the way we love one another. So the gospel transforms our individual lives, but the gospel also transforms our life together. So why do we need the gospel? It's because all of us have sinned against uh, our Creator God, and we all face His righteous judgment. And what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. It's, it's news that is announced, news that is preached concerning Jesus Christ, God's Son. And Jesus has come to save us from our sins, by dying on the cross, by rising from the dead. And Paul says, by putting our faith in Jesus alone to save us, not any works that we've done, but entirely by, the, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And then Jesus welcomes us into God's family. So now as God's family, what does it look like for us to display together as brothers and sisters. The mic coming in and out. Should I change to the podium? So it's good to be affirmed by the sound team in the back. Right, so today we get to chapter 16, and we've come to the end of the sermon series. And if you, if you notice just from the reading that Ki did, uh, greetings take up more than two-thirds of this chapter, right? Verses 1 to 16, and then verses 21 to 23 as well, just greetings. Uh, greetings are not unusual in Paul's letters. You know, he often ends his letters with greetings, but what makes these greetings unusual is that they're really long. John Chrysostom, a well-known preacher in the early Christian church, I think understood the struggle of getting through this chapter. So even in the early centuries of the Christian church, they, they knew the struggle it was to get through long lists of names. And he said this of Romans 16. 
Many hasten over this part of the epistle as superfluous, yet it is possible, even from bare names, to find a great treasure. So that's my prayer today. I pray that we would find great treasure as we come, as we work through uh, this chapter together. And I would say Chrysostom is right. You know, after scaling the lofty heights of the gospel in the earlier chapters of Romans, you know, Paul shows us in this chapter that the gospel is very down to earth. Right? All these names tell us that the gospel is very personal. The truth of the gospel we, we see from this chapter transforms our relationships in a very real way. And in these ordinary, everyday greetings that Paul sends to the Christians in Rome, we see that being graced together involves real people living for the gospel together in real community. So just three observations I want to make this morning as we work through this chapter together. What does it mean to be graced together? Just three observations. One, we are together for the gospel. Two, we are together in the truth. And three, we are together for the glory of God. So, so let's begin by thinking about how are we together in the gospel. You know, as I said, these personal greetings are long, the longest in all of Paul's New Testament letters. And in verses 1 and 2, Paul commends Phoebe to the Roman Christians. He calls Phoebe a sister, a fellow Christian, and Phoebe, Phoebe was probably a Gentile, a Gentile woman serving in the church. And Paul calls her a servant of the church at Sancria. Sancria was a, a city near Corinth where Paul was actually writing Romans from. And the word translated servant is the same word used in the New Testament to refer to a deacon. So you can also translate that word deacon. So Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancria. You know, so it's likely, commentators think that it's likely that Phoebe served as a deacon or deaconess if you prefer, in the church. And if so, then there is biblical basis for the practice of having women serve as deacons in the church. Uh, and this is what we practice here at GBC as well. We have uh, women who serve faithfully as deacons. Annie, Bibiana, Gina, just serving us faithfully as deacons, just like Phoebe did in the early church. And Phoebe probably was the one who delivered Paul's letter to the Romans. Right? So she probably took took the letter and brought, was about to bring it to uh, the church in Rome. So, so Paul wants the Roman church to welcome Phoebe when she arrives, to show her hospitality. Why? Because she's a fellow believer in the Lord. And Paul says all the more because Phoebe herself has been faithfully serving others. You know, Paul calls Phoebe a patron. It's an interesting word. Which means that she was probably a wealthy woman. Because in that culture, to be a patron means that you were able to benefit Others. So Phoebe was probably a wealthy woman of some social standing, was using her resources to help Paul in the work of the gospel, as well as many other Christians as well. So Paul says to the Roman Christians, hey, help her just as she has helped many others. And then in verses 3 to 16, Paul greets a number of the Christians in Rome by name. You know, how many individuals? Do a quick count. 26. 26 individuals and at least three house churches, right? The church, the church that met in Prissa and Aquila's home 
and then two others in verse 14 and verse 15. So at least three house churches mentioned. Now some of these names are mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. So for example, Prissa and Aquila were a married couple that Paul met in Corinth in Acts 18. And they served with Paul and they were also of the same trade. They were tent makers, like Paul was. And, you know, if, if, you, if you read the New Testament, you realize that Prissa and Aquila keep moving house. They move from Corinth to Ephesus, and then here we find them in Rome. So they've actually moved house quite a number of times, probably for the sake of the gospel. So they were probably serving as a bit like missionaries, moving from place to place, planting churches in place to place. Uh, another name that we've come across is uh, Rufus. We read about Rufus uh, elsewhere, and scholars think that Rufus may have been the son of Simon of Cyrene. Uh, have you heard of Simon of Cyrene? If you read the Gospel accounts, Simon of Cyrene was the man who carried Jesus' cross part of the ways. And so it's very encouraging. If, th if this Rufus is his son, it's very encouraging that Paul is greeting this, this man whose father literally carried Jesus' cross out of the way. Then in verses 21 to 23, Paul conveys greetings from his co-workers who are with him to the Christians in Rome. So he mentions Timothy, who is one of Paul's closest co-workers. Uh, Paul calls him my true child in the faith. He mentions uh, Gaius. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, we know that Gaius was one of the Christians whom Paul baptized in Corinth. Tertius, just an explanatory note on Tertius. Tertius wrote down Romans, uh, as dictated by Paul. So Tertius was a bit like Paul's uh, secretary. So Paul was giving dictation and Tertius was the one who wrote down uh, the words as Paul dictated the letter. So long list of names, 26 names, what do they mean for us? What can we learn from all these names? Just two, two things for us to think about. Number one, we serve together in the work of the gospel. You know, I always find it amazing that someone as learned, someone as accomplished, someone as gifted as the Apostle Paul did not serve alone. Right? He, he's no independent, maverick missionary kind of off doing his own thing and just kind of doing everything on his own and thinking, oh, I, I've got this, I'm okay, don't, don't, I don't need any help, I'm fine. No, Paul was no lone ranger worker, right? He, he didn't try to do everything himself. You know, very good lesson for ministry. Don't try to do everything yourself. If, if Paul didn't do everything himself, I, I think neither should we. Paul worked closely with many other believers and other churches as well. He, he pulled people into relationships and, and through these relationships worked together for the work of the gospel. And the lesson for us is a simple one, right? That we need one another. Christians need other Christians. Whether you are a missionary doing pioneering work in a place where there are no believers or you are serving the church with many believers around you, the, the fact is the same. We, we need one another. We are interdependent members of the same body of Christ. You know, if, if we try to do everything ourselves, I guarantee that we'll get discouraged. We try to do everything ourselves, I guarantee that we will be burnt out if we try to live the Christian life on our own. Or if we expect 
other people to do all the work, then we will definitely burn them out. You know, if you're in a CG and you expect the CG leader to do all the work, you know, lead all the studies, contact all the people, make sure everyone's doing well, organize everything, host the group. If you expect the, your CG leader to do that, I guarantee that you burn out your CG leader. And maybe your group will struggle to find another CG leader. Right? Because we're meant to be interdependent, serving together. So if, if we don't do that, we'll exhaust those who serve. Uh, if we expect them to do all the work. I think these greetings reveal that the harvest is plentiful. And because the harvest is so plentiful, the, the more laborers we have, the better. As, as Jesus said, pray for laborers. We all have a part to play in God's plan to make disciples of the nations. You know, as you, as you look through this list, uh, I don't think most of the Christians mentioned here are so-called full-time ministry workers. I believe many of the Christians here are just ordinary Christians with day jobs. And Paul is recognizing their fellow laboring for the sake of the gospel. As we heard last week, Paul's mission ambition shouldn't be unique to him. And as Pastor Ollie wrote in a recent blog post on our website, it takes a whole church to raise a spiritual child. We are meant to do the work of the gospel together. You know, we do evangelism together. You know, if someone comes through these doors, wants to know Jesus, one person may befriend them, another person may meet up with them, another person may invite this person to their group, etc., etc. Right? We, we, we do evangelism as a community. We, we shouldn't feel like when I bring my friend, I'm the only one trying to follow up with my friend. But we should feel like when I bring my friend, the whole community is following up with my friend. We do the work together. You know, Christmas is a wonderful time to do that, right? We invite people to Christmas service. Someone else brings them out for lunch. Someone else might follow up with him after Christmas in the new year. You know, we, we do it together, friends. And, and one of the ways we do it together is we pray together. I, I think that's why we, we encourage you all to be part of the monthly prayer meeting. It's not just another thing to attend, but rather it's, it's a... It's a place where we consciously express our dependence on God together. Just as we do the work together, we need to ask God together for His blessing upon our labours. So we're meeting this Friday for the monthly prayer meeting. So quick advertisement. Do, do attend this Friday, 8pm. It takes a whole church to raise a spiritual child. Now, these Christians were not merely fellow workers, so Paul didn't just see them as colleagues. But I want us to notice that Paul has deep affection, deep affection and love for them. You, you notice how, what he calls some of them? You know, beloved. Beloved. You know, I used to have a pastor friend who would stand up on Sunday mornings and his first greeting to the church would be, Beloved. And that's, a, that's such a wonderfully biblical greeting to look at all of you and say, Beloved. And that's what Paul does for these Christians. So gospel work is not just about getting things done. I feel that I must say that in a very task-oriented culture like Singapore, where we assume that efficiency is the most important thing and just getting things done is the most important thing. Well, we need to get things done. 
But getting things done is not the most important thing. I think these greetings remind us that gospel work is about loving and growing people. Loving and growing people. Not loving and growing ministries. Not loving and growing structures. Not loving and growing programs. Not even loving and growing attendance. But loving and growing people. Ministry is very relational. I think Paul is an example of that. We love those we serve and we love those we serve with. So we don't use one another to get things done. Love one another and pray for one another to grow in Christ. Ministry means people. Think about it. Ministry means people and people mean ministry. You know, look, look at this photograph. You know, what do you see? you see? You see a big bunch of grapes. You see the, you see the vine right, kind of hanging on the lattice or the trellis. You know, so, so when we think about our programs, our ministries, our structures, our facilities, our amenities, this building, you know, as we think about all these things, they, they are the, you don't notice them actually, you're not meant to notice them. They are the trellis, you know, to borrow a term from that good book, you know, Trellis and the Vine. They, they are the trellis or the lattice that holds up the vine. But, but when you come to this, when you look at this picture, you don't notice the trellis, right? The, the trellis does its work behind the scenes by holding up the vine, that the main thing is the life of the vine, the fruitfulness of the vine. And, and Paul's greetings here in Romans 16 remind us that the main thing in ministry is the fruitfulness of the vine, not how beautiful your trellis is. You can have a really wonderful trellis, but if there's no vine, the trellis is useless, and you don't notice the trellis. So as, as we do ministry together, as, as we do life together, as we do grace together, I think this passage reminds us that we are serving and loving people, building them up, strengthening them in Christ so that they bear fruit like a vine should. So we, so the, the trellis serves the vine, not the other way around. So don't get busy just doing lots of things, but think about how you can cultivate friendships with one another. And not just social friendships, but, but real, substantial gospel friendships where you're speaking the truth in love to one another, where you're receiving encouragement, giving encouragement, and building one another up to become more like Jesus. And it's helpful for us, maybe even now, to think about just your friendships in the church. Do you have friendships in the church like that? Is there a brother or a sister in the church where you can say, yeah, this, this person really speaks truth into my life. This person knows me. This person encourages me to look more like Jesus. And I'm doing the same for this person. Do we have at least one friendship like that in the church where that's happening? You know, it's remarkable how Paul mentions so many individuals by name. And, and I think as he does so, he reflects Jesus' heart for his sheep. I think one of the most encouraging passages in Scripture for me as a pastor is in John 10, where, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know 
my own. And then elsewhere in that same chapter, he talks about calling the sheep by name. I think Paul reminds us in Romans 16 that each individual believer is precious to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus laid down his life for him or her. So members of GBC, just an encouragement to us, you know, how well do we know the other members of the church? You know, beyond your familiar social circles, how well do you know the other members of GBC? I think this is the reason why we've been encouraging you all to, to use the membership directory, to, to get a copy from the office, to pray through the directory. Even if you don't know people personally, just pray for them. Pray that they would grow in Christ. And maybe on Sunday, come find them and say, hey, I prayed for you this week. Who are you? <laughs> Can I get to know you? I, I think that's how we commit to knowing and being known. This is what it means to do life together, as grace together. And one more observation. You know, Paul is not reserved or stingy in his encouragement. You notice how he affirms Phoebe? He's grateful for Priscilla and Aquila. And then he calls some of these uh, Christians. You know, they've worked hard. Right? He recognizes their hard work for the gospel. And again, you know, in, in an encouragement-staffed culture like Singapore, you know, do we actively encourage? Do, do we actively affirm? Not, not flatter, you know, not, not boast, but, but do we affirm one another? Do, do, we, do we recognize the work that God is doing in each other's lives? You know, I, I, God forbid that the only time we speak up is when things are not going well. Right? Uh, we, I pray that we will be active encouragers and, and not armchair critics of one another. Uh, second observation from these names is that we, we may be diverse, but the gospel unites us. You know, th these names are people who are very different. You, know, you, you find men and women serving together in the work of the gospel. Of the 26 names mentioned, nine are women. So it tells us that women were active in the work of the gospel. They were active in local church ministry. They were active in missions as well. Uh, women of GBC, I am so encouraged by all the work that you do in the life of the church. This, this church wouldn't be what it is without all the work that you women do in the life of the church. You know, this, this past week, I had the wonderful opportunity to sit in for the, for the older ladies' Bible study on Wednesday morning, and it was a sweet time. You know, we, I had free food, had some really good cupcakes, but I think even, even sweeter was, you know, I sat there and just sang some hymns with them. And, and you know, you ladies are a wonderful testimony to me uh, of God's faithfulness across the seasons of life. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful time. And, and I just want to encourage the, the women in this church that the work that you do, oftentimes behind the scenes, in discipling, in teaching one another, in, in counseling one another, speaking encouragement into one another's lives, that's precious. And, and the church will not be what it is without all the work that you put in. And, and some of you women are fervent prayer warriors, right? just praying behind the scenes, praying for the church, praying for people, praying for the leaders. I, I am so encouraged by the work that you put in. And so women, I do encourage you to, to what you're doing, do so more and more. You know, it's a wonderful testimony of God's work in our midst. 
You know, so there are men and women serving together, and these Christians come from different ethnic groups as well, different cultural groups, different economic backgrounds. You notice that some of these are Jewish names, some of these are Gentile names, Jews and Gentiles. I think it's especially encouraging that, you know, notice the Gentile churches are thanking God for Prissa and Aquila, a Jewish couple. I think that's wonderful. Right? Racially different people coming together. Names like, uh, some, some of them were, were slaves, some of them were free, free men, free women. You know, names like Ampliatus, verse 8, and Abanus, verse 9, were, scholars say, were common names for slaves. You know, so, so as you think about the church in Rome, you, you had people, you know, maybe in the lower rungs of the social economic ladder, and then you have people in the higher rungs, of the social economic ladder as well. Wealthy and not so wealthy. Prominent and not so prominent. You know, think about all that diversity that you read about in Romans 16. And you ask the question, what brought all of them together? What, what brought all of them together? Not their personalities, not, not their common backgrounds, not their gender or their ethnicity. But the only thing that brought them together was their love for Jesus. Was the fact that they believe the same gospel. They are one because they are all in Christ. So in these greetings, Paul shows us that the gospel is for everyone, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of the language you speak, regardless of your culture, your education level, your socioeconomic status, the gospel is for every one of us, friends. And God is the one, not us, but God is the one who creates a new community. And he creates a new culture. So as we come to the church, it's not about, is my culture better than your culture? Is my tradition better than your tradition? But rather, God says, leave those things aside. I'm going to create a new community with a new culture. A new culture shaped not by human wisdom, a new culture shaped by the gospel itself. And this, friends, is what will bring us together. It's not anything that we can do, but what God has done. So what are we depending on to hold our relationships together? Right, think about that. Think about your friendships in the church. Are your friendships dependent on something else apart from the gospel to keep it going? A shared experience, a shared ethnicity, the fact that you've been in the church for a long time. You know, what, what, are relation, what do our relationships depend on? Friends, the, the good news in Romans 16 is that the gospel enables us to love those who are different from us. Not because we are good people, but because God is wise and his gospel is able. You know, this, this chapter tells us that we can be bold to step out of our comfort zones, to, to move beyond the familiar, to, to move beyond those who are most like us, to move beyond those that we are most comfortable with, and to begin to establish real deep friendships with those who are different from us. Why? It's because of the power of the gospel, friends. Do we trust in the power of the gospel to do that? Do we trust in the power of the gospel to help us build those friendships? 
Or are we relying on our own wisdom as we think about our relationships with one another? Now, I, I love this book. Uh, it's called The Compelling Community. You know, wonderful book on what community is. So, highly recommended. So, I think we hope to stock some at the book table downstairs in time and, and the library as well. So, if you want a good book to read about what Christian community is, what, what, what it really means to be graced together, this is a wonderful book. And just two quotes for us from the book to think about. You know, think about this. When Christians unite around something other than the gospel, they create community that would likely exist even if God didn't. And would your friendships still be the same without the gospel? Do you really need the gospel for the friendship that you have with one another? Ultimately, a second quote, ultimately unity is valuable because it reflects God's character and being. God cares about our unity because it shows off his power and wisdom. So it's not about us, it's about how God makes his power and wisdom known through us, through our community. Okay, let me move on to the second point more briefly. So we are together for the gospel. And second point, we are together in the truth. See this in verses 17 to 20. Now, our unity in the gospel is precious. So Paul moves on in these verses to talk about guarding the gospel, guarding the very thing that holds us together. So he says in verse 17, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. The gospel unites it's false teaching that divides the church. You know, how do you spot a false teacher? Paul says two things. Look out for what they teach. Things contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And secondly, look out for the way they live. They serve themselves, not Jesus. And Paul says be discerning because false teachers often sound persuasive. Paul says they deceive the naive with smooth talk and flattery. You know, why flattery? Because they tell us what we want to hear. That's, that's what makes false teachers so compelling. Because they tell us what we want to hear. You know, it may be a message of health. It may be a message of wealth, of success, of prosperity. It even may be a message of legalism, right? Do this and you'll be okay. Do this and God will like you. You know, God will love you. It may be a message just of moralism where we can be good people, so go and do these things and, and God will accept us because we are good people, right? So messages of legalism or moralism that lure us away from finding our joy, fullness and contentment in Christ. Anything that tempts us away from Jesus, from trusting in Him, from finding our fullness and satisfaction in Him, any message that does that is a false gospel. And Paul says, avoid it, right? Avoid, avoid them. Don't be influenced by their teachings. And I want, to, I want us to think about this, that sometimes the danger that we face is more subtle. We, we might not have you know, obvious individuals who are false teachers, but I want us to think about our own lives. What do our lives teach about the gospel? What does my life, how I live, 
how I treat people, what does that say about the gospel? I think oftentimes, what our lives teach can be more powerful than what we say with our words. So there might not be obvious false teachers, but what about our own lives? Do our own lives teach the truth about Jesus? Or do our own lives lie about the gospel? Let, let me give you some examples. If, if others look at me and they see that I'm proud, they see that I'm self-righteous, they see that I'm selfish, I'm harsh, I'm impatient, I'm critical, I'm unforgiving, I am unloving. You know, think about that. If, if others look at me and they see this, what am I saying about the gospel? What are we saying about the gospel through how we live? You know, anything that opposes the gospel or is not in line with the truth of the gospel will drive us apart. If, if we live in these ways that are opposed to the gospel, we will be torn asunder. So Paul says, don't be naive. Don't, don't, be, don't be naive about the danger posed by false gospels, by false teaching, by lives that belie the truth of the gospel. So Paul says in verse 19, be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I think Jesus said it better. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You know, and even as we take responsibility to guard the gospel, Paul says, be assured that God will give us the victory. He says in verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In Christ, we shall defeat the devil and his lies. And we will finally win because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. So being graced together means that we're relying on this same grace to change us and to keep us safe in Christ. Finally, last point, we are together for the glory of God, verses 25 to 27. You know, Paul very fittingly closes his letter with a doxology. And doxology simply means a word that gives glory to God, right? Word of glory. Uh, in, in the Greek, verses 25 to 27 is one long sentence. And this is the longest doxology in all of Paul's New Testament letters. And if you read this doxology and you compare it to the opening verses of Romans, you find a lot of parallels between these verses and Romans 1, 1 to 5. And then if you, this, doxolo this doxology here also re recaps many of the key themes of the letter. It's a very rich doxology. You know, I wish we had more time, but I'm just going to kind of go through this as the last point of this sermon. Well, really, I think Paul closes with this to remind us that we are graced together for the glory of God, so that He is glorified. And Paul praises God because He has the power to strengthen us. Right? Now to Him who is able, you know, the word able there is the same word that translates power. Now to Him who is powerful to strengthen you. you know, how, how, does, how does God strengthen us? Paul says it is by the gospel. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. This reminds us of Romans 1 verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
this same gospel is able to save us and strengthen us. And what is the gospel? Paul says in this doxology that it is the preaching of Jesus Christ. The, the, the gospel is the good news about Jesus and what he has done to save sinners. He's the saviour and king promised in the Old Testament. Kept secret for long ages, but now revealed. How has, it been, how has he been revealed? God has sent his son, and God has now revealed the mystery which was kept hidden until his appointed time. And Paul says this gospel of Jesus Christ is able to strengthen you. Not just get you into the door to become a Christian, but able to strengthen you across all the seasons of your life. You know, the gospel is not just the entry point to becoming a Christian. It is God's power to sustain us, to, to strengthen us throughout our lives. You know, how does the gospel strengthen us? Just some examples for us to think about. Are we burdened with the guilt of sin? You know, the gospel says to us, we are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's on the next slide. Another, another common struggle for us in our weakness, do we, do we struggle with pride? We struggle with pride. The gospel says to us, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. For you hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Are we going through tough times in our lives? No, the gospel says to us, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, whose love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Are we discouraged by our sin? You know, the gospel says to us, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We have been set free, friends. We will live with Christ in newness of life. Do we struggle with acceptance and approval? You know, do, we long for, do we long to be accepted? Do we long to belong? The gospel says to us, you have received the spirit of adoption. We are God's children. Are we fearful or anxious? The gospel says, all things work together for good for those who love God. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, these are, very odd, these are very everyday struggles that we all have. And I think sometimes in the midst of these struggles, we, we wonder how the gospel speaks to our lives. And, and these verses are all just from what we've seen in the book of Romans. And we need to know how the gospel speaks strength to us. Not just to make us Christians, but to sustain us as the people of God. And, and Paul says, we glorify God when we depend on Him. We, we glorify God by depending on the one who strengthens us with His gospel. 
We glorify God by depending not on ourselves, not on our own wisdom to make sense of life, but we glorify God when we depend on His gospel for strength. Because we show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That's why God is glorified when we are together by His grace. You know, Tim Keller puts it well. You know, these two quotes from Keller and Piper, thought they're, they're helpful for us. You know, Tim Keller says, the, the gospel is not just the ABCs, it's not just the so-called basics of the Christian faith, but the A to Z of the Christian life. You know, we, we never move away from the gospel. That, that God forbid that there will ever be a day when we wake up and say, oh, I don't need that anymore. Right, we, we never move away from the gospel. John Piper says it, you, know, you never ever outgrow your need for this gospel. You don't begin the Christian life with this and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. God strengthens us with the gospel to the day we die. Friends, this is exactly what Paul says. This God is able to strengthen us through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Preach Christ. You know, don't, don't, don't get off from your Bible reading without first asking, how does this show me Jesus? At every CG study that you do, ask the question, how do we know more about Jesus from this text of Scripture? How does this text of Scripture strengthen us in Jesus Christ? The Gospel shows God's wisdom. He is the only wise God. And Paul says in this doxology that the wise and eternal God is a missionary. And he has commanded the gospel to be made known to all nations. What is his goal? It is for the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith so that all peoples might come and praise him. Faith produces the good fruit of obedience that glorifies God. And friends, we are graced together because of this gospel that saves this gospel that is still strengthening us. So as we come to the end of Romans, what is the big takeaway for us over the past year from this epic epistle of the Apostle Paul? It's to cherish the gospel, friends. Cherish the gospel as the greatest treasure of our lives. You know, if, if, we, if we love this gospel, it will transform our lives and our relationships with one another. If we love the gospel, it will overflow in zeal for evangelism. We, we won't tell others of a message that we don't love. But if we love the gospel, we will speak of Jesus. And some of us will even consider moving house, maybe to even a different country or to a different culture, to tell others about Jesus. And friends, it begins by first loving the gospel, cherishing it. So I pray as we come to this end, the end of Romans, I pray that God will help us to treasure his gospel so that we glorify him forevermore through Jesus Christ as grace together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed that you are a gracious and merciful God. And Father, we thank you for the gospel 
Father, we praise you that you are the God who is wise and you are the eternal God who has commanded that this gospel be preached to all nations. And because of this, this gospel has come to us here at the ends of the earth. And Father, we don't take for granted the wonder of your saving plan. And Father, we are humbled that you should call even sinners like us to be your people. And Father, we pray that you will work on our hearts now. We pray that your spirit would open our hearts, help us to cherish this gospel that brings us together. Father, help us to understand what it means to be graced together, that we are here not because of anything that we have done. We are here not because we deserve to be here. We're not here because we are good people. But we are together because you have brought us together by your grace. So Father, help us to understand what it means to be a people united by your grace in Jesus Christ. Father, even now in the quietness of our hearts, Father, reveal to us areas where we have misrepresented the gospel through how we live, through how we have related to others. Father, we pray that you would help us to turn away from false teaching and help us to reflect the gospel faithfully with our lives. So Father, as we come to you now, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that your spirit would work. Help us to draw near to you, friend. Help us to draw near to one another as well. And Father, we give you the glory as you are the wise and eternal God. And we pray that you might be glorified forevermore through us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.